He takes what had become the common practice or interpretation of the Old Testament, and then he explains what the original intended meaning was. The scribes and the Pharisees have majored on how they appear to those who look upon them. And keeping often man-made laws or their interpretation of those laws to a T. And what they had missed was the expectation of that inner transformation that has always been expected of followers of God. You've heard it said, do not murder. But even if you are angry with a brother, you have in effect murdered him. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But even if you've thought lustfully about another who is not your husband or wife, you have committed adultery. You have heard it said that you can divorce for any and every reason as long as you give a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, divorce and remarry, if you divorce and remarry, you are committing adultery. And there were a number of qualifiers related to that. And tonight we're going to be speaking on oaths. This is all about honesty, integrity and true Christian character. It's about our yes being yes and our no being no. And we're living in a day and age where the truth is not as highly valued as it should be. And truth often takes second place to many things. In a former life, uh, I was involved in a number of closed-door meetings with some very influential people, uh, judges, solicitors, and a few others. And on one occasion, there was a retired judge there that uh, I got to speak at. They closed a whole restaurant just so we could have this meeting. Crazy stuff. But I was speaking to this judge, and I said to him, I said, why is it that you've retired? Because he wasn't overly old. And he said, Charlie, he said, the problem with my role now is that it's no longer about truth and justice. It's about upholding the law. And I'm sure all of us are aware of loopholes that have been used of perpetrators of the most heinous crimes to allow them to walk free. When I first became a pastor, I decided that I should get as much support and encouragement as I can. So I joined an online chat with pastors from all over the world. Sounds like a good idea, hey? I didn't last very long in that group, to be quite honest. There were many pastors who were within that group who were senior or leading pastors in their churches. One of them in particular had a congregation of 5,000 people. And this guy did not believe in absolute truth. For some of you, you may not understand what that means. But what it basically means is there are no absolute truths. When I say Jesus Christ is the Son of God as a Christian, they say, no, you cannot say that. That's an absolute truth. And we don't believe in that. And so this guy who led a church of 5,000 people who confessed to be a Christian in, I don't know how, was actually declaring that Jesus Christ was not necessarily the Son of God. That was only one truth. There were, in fact, many truths in which you could follow to get to God. I don't know how an evangelical pastor could make such statements. And he wasn't the only one that shot me down. When I questioned him about Jesus Christ... All these guys jumped in to support his stand that the truth, what I declare an absolute truth in Jesus Christ being the Son of God was only one truth. And it's no wonder then that the truth is becoming less and less valued, 
not only in our world, but within our churches. This guy had 5,000 people attending his church. Truth and integrity are the first casualties in many human interactions. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for the truth of your word. And I want to thank you that me standing here declare that an absolute truth. As far as I'm concerned, Lord, there's no compromise with that. And so I ask for everyone who can hear my voice here in the auditorium, Lord, or at home, that you will speak into their hearts and minds and they will know without a doubt that you are truth. Lord, speak to each of us this evening, I pray. Help us to hear your voice. And more than that, Help us to respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we approach this passage this evening, we need to keep in mind who it is that we are speaking about. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. His standard level of truthfulness is way beyond anything that we can comprehend. It is much higher than anything man can hope to attain. And the call has always been for believers to reflect the very character and attributes of God. But we don't always get that right for many reasons. And this is what Jesus continues to address. Now there was a belief of the day that Jesus addresses straight up. The reading we had refers to vows or oaths. And in a biblical context, a vow is a solemn promise which is made before God and man. And an oath is an appeal towards God to bear witness to the vow that is being made so that it will be kept. And basically, it's a declaration of truth. Whatever is being promised will be done. And the person making the vow is speaking the truth. That is why they do what they do. Think about what's being said. Lying behind the very heart of this vow-taking and oath-making is an unspoken statement. It is saying, God is real. He hears our vows, he hears our oaths, and he will bear witness to what I say. And that's why I make that vow. And unfortunately, as good and holy and righteous as that sounds, the reality is that the people Jesus is addressing at this time don't believe that. Their very actions indicate that they don't believe God hears and they don't believe he would hold them to account. Jesus says, you've heard it said to those of old. And he's referring to what the Jewish people have been taught regarding the law of Moses. In particular, they've been taught to honour the vows that they make to God. Leviticus 19, 11 and 12 says, You shall not steal, you shall not do falsely, you shall not lie to one another, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of the Lord. Uh, sorry, the name of God. I am the Lord. In Numbers 32, this warning to not um, swear by God's names falsely is emphasized telling the people that if they make a vow or oath in the Lord's name they shall not break their word they will have to do what they have said they will and the Jesus the Jewish people took this very seriously and if you ask them um, about those vows all the vows they made in the Lord's name they would honor they would actually do them and that is exactly what happens they they decide to exploit God's law 
The scribes and the Pharisees believe they were obeying the law because they would make vows or oaths, uh, including God's name, that they knew they wouldn't have any problem keeping. And so they continue to honour God's name because they keep those vows. For other vows and oaths, they would ensure that they didn't swear by God, that they... And in that case, they believe because God's name was not involved, well, then they didn't have to keep that vow at all. So if it became inconvenient, they just wouldn't do it. But we see that Jesus speaks very differently about this matter. And he again makes it very clear what the original intention was. So the truth is, rather than the common held belief, that if you made a vow calling upon God, then anything that you did in calling upon God was binding. But if you made a lesser vow, and then it became inconvenient or a problem to fulfill, it was no worries, you didn't have to fulfill it. Because it wasn't a sacred vow to God. Matthew 5, 34 and 36 says, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. You do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Jesus is basically saying in our language, are you out of your mind? What makes you think that a vow or oath made by heaven or earth or Jerusalem or yourself is any less binding? Do you think that taking an oath by these things rather than by my name really excuses you for not keeping these oaths? And Jesus addresses this exact attitude later in Matthew 23, 16 to 22, where he declares the seven woes to the Pharisees and the scribes. He accuses them of teaching that swearing on the temple is nothing, but swearing on the gold of the temple is legally binding. Swearing on the altar is nothing, but swearing on the gift of the altar is legally binding. And there's many other examples like that. And the bottom line is, if you take a vow, keep it. When a vow is made, it really doesn't matter what you call on, because all of it's God's anyway. He created it all. And further, in Matthew 12, 36, it says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word that they speak. And the point is, obviously, God hears everything that we say. And more than that, he knows our hearts. He knows our intentions. And if God says he will hold us accountable for every idle word that is spoken, then there can be no sacred vow. There can be no vow that is more binding than any other. The Pharisees were just like that judge in a lot of ways, although he left his role. They maintained or upheld the law, but they did all they could to exploit it as well. Every promise made, every commitment spoken, every vow or oath declared is binding because they are spoken in God's presence. James emphasises this in 5.12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. It's very similar to what Jesus says, but then James added this extra bit so that you may not fall under condemnation. He understood the seriousness of this matter. He starts with above all things. He's elevated this. He is saying, be especially careful in this subject, in this matter, in this point. It is to be avoided at all costs. You do not need to make oaths. Just consistently speak the truth. 
And that leads us to the major point here. Jesus is about correcting that which is incorrect. In verse 34, Jesus says, Do not take an oath at all. And this seems to contradict passages in Scripture. Uh, Paul himself made many oaths. He says in Romans 9, I tell you the truth in Christ, I am not lying. In Galatians, he says, Before God, I do not lie. And even Jesus, when he is being judged in Matthew 26, 63 to 64, has the high priest say to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. He's bound Jesus in an oath. And that's when Jesus says, you have said so. And he goes on to speak about him being the son of man, basically a declaration that he is a son of God. He is the son of God. And the point is, oaths or vows should always be taken seriously. Not frivolously like the leaders of the day. All vows and oaths should be taken with a view to fulfill them. And in fulfilling them, you honour God. And I don't think it's a coincidence that this discussion comes straight after a discussion on divorce. And if you're in a position where you have been divorced, you've chosen to break your marriage vows. Vows that God always intended to be a one-off thing. Married till death do we part. I think it's God-honouring to make vows before God and men about that commitment to your wife or husband. We're also caught, uh, called in a court of law to make an oath to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And you swear upon a Bible when you do that. I believe this is acceptable. I've done that in a court of law. And the point is, we should use oaths in the name of the Lord when it is lawful to do so. Deuteronomy 10.20 tells us to do exactly that. Unlike the scribes and Pharisees, we should not make other oaths with the intention of not keeping those oaths or consider them binding. Instead, we're told to let our yes be yes and our no, no. Anything else comes from evil. And Jesus wants to make sure everyone who hears these words, everyone who reads these words, will be left with no doubt. Your word should be able to be trusted. So ensure that your yes really does mean yes and your no really does mean no. Say what you mean, mean what you say. It's really that simple. Jesus wants his followers to be people of our word, people who keep not just their vows, but people who can be trusted in what they say. I've got an example of my wife actually doing something a little bit wrong, which is highly irregular with my wife. Oh, she's here tonight. She wasn't on the list. Anyway, <laughs> we had this beautiful red lounge. I, I love this lounge. It was a gorgeous thing. And uh, we sold our house. And unbeknownst to me, Elena decided that this lounge was not suitable for our new home. So she sold it to one of her friends at work. And um, when she told me, I, I was a bit upset, to be quite honest. And anyway, she said, well, at least we don't have to move it. Guess what? The person couldn't pick it up until after we'd moved. So we moved this lounge, which was no longer ours, to the new home. And when we set it up in the new house, guess who said, actually, that looks really nice here. <laughs> it wasn't me. And Elena said, do you think we could keep it? And I said... No, we can't. We have to be people of our word. 
and you've said this lady can purchase it and as much as I want to keep it, we can't. And so we had to give it. I didn't shed any tears much. It was a close thing though. And I want you to think about what was said earlier from Matthew 12, 26. That we will be held to account for every frivolous word. It's emphasized also in Psalm 15, 1. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly, does what is right, and speaks truth in his heart. What we speak, I believe, is an overflow of what is in our heart. And so we should make this decision to put aside all deception, even the thought of it. And we should be people who have a reputation for speaking truth. When we say yes, it isn't questioned because people trust us. Likewise, when we say no, it really does mean no. Jesus closes out this discussion on oaths by saying, anything more than this comes from evil. And Jesus is speaking to those leaders of the day who invoked the name of things except God or his name because their intention was to not keep that vow. It's a sin. Quite simply, they're lying. They're misrepresenting God. They're misrepresenting themselves to the people. They have no intention of keeping their word. So they embellish what they're saying with an oath or a vow in order to deceive. I believe he's talking to people who feel they constantly have to prop up their words with a vow or a promise. And what lies behind that is a habit of sin. It's usually people whose word is not trusted who say such things. And why is their word not trusted? It's always for a reason. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. There's a couple of passages here. Leviticus 19.2 Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Matthew 5.48 says, You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Can I just have a show of hands as to who's attained that right now? Not you, Pastor Darrell, I know. The Christian life is a very high calling, and I think we've got a tendency to not accept that it is that high calling. And it isn't easy. I think these two verses let us know all of us are failures, me included, possibly me the most. But this is the standard. And of course, we're never going to meet this standard until that day when we stand in his presence in glory. And that is going to be an incredible time. But while here, we should be seeking God. We should be living, seeking to live lives that are pleasing to him. We should be seeking his help each and every day to be more like him. We are Christ's ambassadors and our lives should be a reflection of the very characteristics of Jesus Christ himself. And we should be like that so others are drawn to him. What does that mean for us? First and foremost, each and every one of us should be a person of our word. And we should speak in a way that is understood without any hint of deception. I don't know, you might find that difficult to understand, but I'll give you an example. Uh, 
15, almost 16 years ago, Elena and I went to China and uh, I was totally mind blown by that country. It was just amazing. And um, we ended up at the Tiananmen Square with a government guide. And so this is an approved guide by the government who said lots of things which were a little questionable. But one of the things he said when we got to Tiananmen Square was not a lie. He said, not one person died during the Tiananmen instant incident. Think about that. Not one person died during the Tiananmen incident. Did he lie? No. It wasn't one person. It was a lot more. But they said it to try and deceive and make the actual situation appear a lot less than what it really was. Based on the passage we've looked at tonight, we have to be honest. Our yes needs to be yes, our no needs to be no, and there needs to be no deception, no dishonesty. And friends, if we fall into the trap of exaggerating, like I never do, ever, stop laughing, or saying something that is not true, it's okay to apologise and correct yourself. In fact, when I started doing this, when I exaggerated and things like that, people were often just chuckle and go, thank you, when you apologise. And if you start breaking the habit, it's not long before you're not exaggerating as much as you did. But we need to be like that. We need to have integrity. Basically, we should call things how we see them. That means standing for truth and opposing what is not right, even if the person is saying or doing the wrong thing is someone who you consider a friend. And I, I, I've had some terrible things said to me. I had a situation... Someone said possibly the most heinous thing that has ever said to me. It really affected me. It really affected my wife. And, and I was in a mediation meeting with this person and I put this before him and told him how disgraceful I thought it was. He rebuffed it and didn't agree that it was as bad as I was implying it to be. He had a support person there. I turned to his support person and said, surely you cannot agree and think that it's okay to make that comment. And this person said, well, I didn't know the context. I said, what context matters in this case? And instead of standing for truth, this man chose to support the other guy because they were mates. We can't do that. We have to stand for truth. And if you've got friends who are willing to lead you down that path and have you join them in their deception, in their lying, you need to question whether you want to remain friends. Give them a touch up the side of their head for a start and tell them to get back into a right relationship with God. God's standard is truth. It's the standard. And it's not about truth for anyone who is not your friend. As in, it's only truth for my friends. It's truth, full stop. As followers of Christ, we should be known for standing for truth regardless of where we are. I know we tidy up the act when we come to church. That's the way I used to be. But we should stand for truth wherever we are. In church, at work, with our friends, at home, in the shed when you slam your thumb or whatever. It's about truth. And we should be known for that. Integrity is a quality that you can admire in people you don't even agree with. Amen? You agree?
It's about standing for what you believe. And as believers in Christ, there should be no question about where we stand in truth, particularly. Those who know us know that we stand for truth, or they should. And standing for truth involves purity. Think about Jesus' last word in the passage tonight. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So when we don't walk in truth, when we are seen as someone whose word cannot be trusted, then we strayed from the ways of God and have given ourselves over to evil. And so the call is to return to God. Repent. Live a life committed to him, based upon his word. Be obedient to him in all things. And when we aren't, then we're not obeying truth. When God's word and conviction of Holy Spirit warns us not to do something, then we shouldn't do it. In fact, we should flee from it. And to live this life of honesty, integrity and purity in our lives, we have to be right with God. As I conclude, can I just get you to ask yourselves, are you living a life that is right with God? I want you to think about, I suppose this is mainly young people, your last six social media posts. Were they God-honouring? I want you to think about the last six private messages you sent. Were they God-honouring? For all of us, if God was to lay bare now all of our thoughts, all of our motivations, would that affect your relationships with those around you? And if your answer is yes, you need to do some work with God. Come back to him. He's happy to forgive you. And we'd be happy to sit and pray with you. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for the truth of your word tonight. I want to thank you for the challenge that it was for me first and foremost. And Lord, my prayer is, with your help, that we will all be a people of truth, integrity and purity. And Lord, I know that you've been speaking to people tonight. I just pray, Lord, that they'll be willing to do business with you, that they'll be willing to confess to you and repent of those things and those times when they haven't honoured you, when their yes has not been yes and their no has not been no. My desire is to be closer to you each and every day, Lord. I pray that's the desire for each one of us. Let us submit ourselves to you. Let me submit myself to you, I pray, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with us.